This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. All right. Hey, uh, before we before we really get going today. I just want to give a little disclaimer. Uh, Friday, uh, Pastor Dave was supposed to be preaching today, okay? Uh, on Friday, about afternoon or so, uh, Pastor Dave wasn't feeling so great, and so he called Pastor Greg, said, hey, can you preach? On Sunday, Pastor Greg said yes, uh, and then Pastor Greg was like, well, maybe around Pastor Dave and stuff, and, uh, and so he called me yesterday, about 10 o'clock or so. Uh, so I've had less than 24 hours to do this and prepare this. And um, so, uh, I, you know, we're doing this like spiritual disciplines and we're going to talk about worship today. I did have the thought that I was just going to get up here, read a psalm, and then have the band just play for the next hour. And, uh, but I felt like giving them less than 24 hours to try to prepare all the songs wasn't fair. So um, before we jump in, man, let's pray. Well, I pray today that... Um, And I would be faithful to the truth of your scripture today. I pray that uh, it was 100 hours or one hour of prep time. It means nothing if you don't show up. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move, that you would speak in a mighty way today, that the truth of your word would penetrate our hearts. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In your son Jesus' name. Amen. September of 2020 began what I have dubbed my wilderness season. For the next 16 months after that was the most lonely I've ever felt in ministry, was the hardest time I've ever had in ministry, was the hardest season of my life, period. And I felt lonely, not because my wife wasn't around or didn't care or I didn't have friends on staff and people in the church that weren't checking in and caring for me. I just couldn't verbally express what I was dealing with inside. I was struggling to communicate where I was at in life and what I was feeling. I literally felt like what the Israelites spent about 40 years just walking around the wilderness, waiting for the promised land. Prayers felt like they weren't leaving the room. Uh, conversations with God felt like uh, there was no response back, really felt like a one-sided conversation, that God didn't hear me, see me, wasn't paying attention to me. Sundays at church when I would worship corporately with the body of Christ, that felt almost like a disconnect there. I was struggling so much. And I remember there was a day that uh, I was driving and I felt like, uh, I just need to create a wilderness playlist on my, on my worship account. And I just, I just need to start singing songs that, uh, like Pastor Greg talked a few weeks ago about, we need to pray the truth of scripture. I needed to start singing songs that reminded me the truth of who God is. Right? And so I had these songs. It was a long playlist, but here's some of them. Promise Keeper by Anthony Evans. Promises by Maverick City. Million Little Miracles by Elevation. Gratitude by Brandon Lake. Egypt by Corey Asbury. Thank You by the Katinas. Another in the Fire by Hillsong United. I, I, I just, 
Like I had these songs on repeat to the point that when I would pick my kids up from preschool, my daughter would be again. <laughs> I'm like, man, I listen to your Disney songs over and over again. You can listen to mine. But it was just, I, I, like, I, I, listen, I listened to that worship music at the gym. I, like, I, I had to constantly listen to it. I had to constantly sing the lyrics. It was just this reminder of, okay, I might feel like I'm in the wilderness. I know the truth of Scripture, but now I need to sing it out. Now I need to get a posture of worshiping in that. And we've started this train series looking at these spiritual disciplines. We went through prayer and fasting, and, and today we're looking at the spiritual discipline of worship. You see, worship is hardwired into the fabric of humanity. Everybody worships someone or something. Not everybody worships God, but everybody worships someone or something. You may worship your spouse, your children, your job, your employer who, has the, who holds the power to give you the promotion. Uh, it's AFC, NFC Championship. You may worship whatever football team is playing today. Uh, you, but everybody worships someone or something. John Piper says this, missions exist because worship doesn't. So missionaries and mission trips exist because worship doesn't, because the goal of missions is to bring people, not just to know God, but to worship God. It's one of the reasons the local church exists, is to be a place in the community where those that don't know God can come and get to know, and that we would bring them into worshiping God. There's a George Barna poll out there that said two out of three Christians, so people that claim to be Christians, two out of three of them could not correctly, uh, could not properly define worship. Two out of three Christians could not properly define worship. So I think for us, we, we need to fully understand what worship is, because really, it's one of the few things that we do in this life that we will continue to do for eternity. In Revelation 7, John gives a picture of this, uh, this size of worship that he saw. And he says, man, every tribe, nation, and tongue, the elders, the angels, even the beasts, are all worshiping God. Worship is something we will do as Christians, not just today, not just on Sundays. It's supposed to be every day of our life as we worship God for eternity. So I think we must understand what worship is. Here's the first thing. We were made to worship God. If you have your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That is all creation was created for him. We like to say things like, man, we were created to be in relationship with God. True. We were created as image bearers or to be the image of God to the world. True. We were also created to worship him. We were created to make much of Jesus' name, to praise him, to bring him glory, to bring him honor. We were created to worship him. Rick Warren in his Purpose Driven Life book says that you were created for God's pleasure. Worship is for God. It's not for us. We get a benefit out of worship, but worship isn't for us. It is for God. I, uh, I heard I, I, this Francis Chan story. I don't remember if I heard him say the story, if I read it in one of his books, but, but, but there's a story about Francis Chan 
that uh, when he was a, the, the pastor down at his church in Southern California, that after service one day, somebody from the congregation came up to tell him that they didn't really like that particular style of worship that day. And I don't know what it was. Music was too loud, not too loud, loud enough. Songs were too fast, not fast enough. They were, I don't want that person lead singing. I want this person lead singing. I don't know what it was. But for some reason, they did not like worship that day. And Francis Chan's reply said, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. Some of you are laughing, but if, if one of us on staff said that to you, you may be offended. Maybe it's harsh. Maybe it's not. It doesn't, it's true what he said, though. Worship, we're not here to worship each other. We're not here to worship ourselves. We are here to worship God. Worship is for him. And if it's for him, then it's worship is really our response to God. You can read throughout the Old Testament, and you see every time that they build an altar in the Old Testament, just, just start, go Genesis 12, and go, go with Abraham, and just start reading through the Old Testament. They built an altar, built an altar, built an altar, and every single time that they built an altar as a place of worshiping God, remembering what God had done, it was always in response to who God was. It was always a response to a promise that he made or a promise that he kept or delivering them in battle or whatever. It was always in a response to God. People didn't just build an altar like, oh, we'll build an altar. It was always a response to something God had did. We can read it in the Psalms. I'm going to fly through these. Psalm 47.1, clap your hand, all ye nations. Psalm 64.3, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 66.1, shout for joy to God. Psalm 96.1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 134.2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Psalm 149.3, let them praise his name with dancing over and over and over again. It is respond to God with worship. And understand when we read these verses it's an action that we're called to do. It's an action. Worship is our physical and verbal response to who God is and what he has done and what he will do in the future. Our response in worship has always been for humanity to remember who God has always been for eternity, to remember who he is today and know who he's going to be for the future. Because for the Christian, we know the outcome of how this ends for us. It ends in complete victory. So we remember God's faithfulness throughout the past for all eternity. His faithfulness today, his love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness today. And we remember that it'll continue to happen for all of eternity. It's always a response to God. I, I want to take a little bit of time. Let me break. I think we think of worship sometime only in this setting. There's a difference between corporate worship and personal worship. Understand, they both are always a response to God, but there is a little difference. Corporate worship is what we're doing today, right? Bunch of us together, body of Christ, worshiping God through song, through the reading of his word, through our giving of our tithes, through the serving. That, that, that's corporate worship. That's not the same as personal worship. And sometimes on Sundays, there are songs, let's just be honest, there's songs that we prefer they didn't sing. Doesn't mean we don't like the song. We just don't want to sing that song that day. Or we just, it's a little too loud for us. Or it's not, oh, we wish the drummer was going better. Or we just, uh, I wish Nate wasn't singing. I wish Greg was singing. Or I don't, you know, we, we have our preferences. That's not what corporate worship is about. See, corporate worship is not about our preferences. 
It is about being together and worshiping together because there are benefits of worshiping together with the body of Christ. One of those benefits is the awakening of our spirit. I remember when, uh, when we had our first service after shutting down for COVID, and then we had our first service, uh, Sunday services together, live and in person. I remember after service telling my wife, telling the staff, I didn't realize how much my soul needed that, how much my soul was yearning to worship with the body of Christ. My soul was awakened that Sunday. Another benefit is the assurance, because as we stand in a room like this, we can be assured that I'm not walking through this Christian life alone, I'm not in my faith alone, that actually I'm assured that I am part of the greatest family in all of history because of what Jesus has done for us. Another benefit is our uh, advance in our sanctification. There are times when the Holy Spirit will take the scripture read, a prayer spoken, the chorus sung, or the truth preached, and press it right to the point of our need. And it doesn't merely inform our Christian walk. It almost feels like it heals us in the moment. Have you ever had one of those, uh, a worship song? When you came into service, you had this weight on your chest. You just, something was heavy. Something was eating. You, you just, you felt down. And in the midst of a worship song or a sermon preached or a prayer spoken, it felt like Jesus himself was taking the words and just stamming them into your heart saying, listen, I, I see you. I'm watching you. This is for you. I'm speaking to you. Another one is the benefit of joy. Every year uh, when I was our student pastor and I would go to camp with our students, I would watch students worship. And it was just joy would fill me. As I watched young people pour their hearts out in response to God, I, it will happen on some of our, um, the Good Friday service or our worship nights. As I, I will just sit in the back and I will just watch as you, as God's people, pour their hearts out in response to who he is. There's nothing but joy that comes from that. See, private worship is something entirely different. When we, wor- when we worship privately, we get to pick the song we want, right? The genre we like. Like for me, uh, I grew up, gospel choir, like gospel music, right? Not contemporary Christian. It was, it was gospel stuff. Anybody know the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? I figured you would. Um, there's like four hands up, okay? The Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, my dad used to bump them every Saturday morning. We had this giant sound system in our house and every window, door, Neighbors could hear it down the street. Man, we had gospel music, the choir just blasting. I grew up in a church with that. So my private worship doesn't typically sound or look like what we worship with corporately together. Private worship, man, we could pick the song we want by the person we want with the, with the volume of, of how we want it. Our private worship could also be uh, prayer, time with God, sitting with God, our prayer time for some of us is being out in nature. Y'all, I used to hear people always say that. I experienced God in nature. I was like, oh, okay. Um, all right. right. Going on a hike, fishing, camping, just being out in nature. But that shouldn't be weird because scripture tells us that actually it is in his creation that there's divine revelation of who he is. 
And that's how God has actually reveals himself to us is in that science even backs up what nature does for the human soul. They've done extensive research on the fact that if a, a patient is in the hospital, the patient with the window view heals twice as fast as the patient who doesn't. That's crazy. I was shocked when I found out 85% of Americans spend zero time in nature. So let's just take that to the church. 85% of Christians spend zero time really outside, outside of, besides walking to your car to then drive somewhere else and be in a But 85% of Christians, how, how do we not spend time in his creation? And when the Bible tells us that there is divine revelation there, think of it, just sit amongst the stars and stare up at the cosmos and go, wow. There's something that's restorative for the human soul when it comes to nature. See, I believe the Bible is clear. Both corporate and private worship are essential for our walk and essential for our faith. But in both, it's always a response to who God is. Worship also involves sacrifice and surrender. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You can go and read Leviticus, like the first, cha- first seven chapters of Leviticus, and man, it is extensive detail on what was supposed to be sacrificed, what it represented, how it was supposed to be done. I mean, it is, it is a list. And you, would, you can read how sacrifices worked before Jesus came. And, and it was this, it was almost as if, right, the people would, would bring a burnt or a grain offering. And it was almost as if with the repentant heart, this, this sacrifice would happen. And as the aroma of that sacrifice went up to heaven, as if God could smell it and he drew near. For us today, you see, God is perfect and holy. He cannot come close to us because we are living flesh that reeks of the world. But when we begin to worship God and put our focus on him, we begin to die to ourselves. And it's as if that the more that God smells death, the more God smells our flesh die, the closer he draws near to us. We are supposed to live a life of sacrifice and surrender with worship. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, as a form of worship. I think sometimes we think of a, the surrender moment only in that salvation time, right? I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I recognize I need a savior. I accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and I surrender, and boom, and now I go about my life. Or I'm cool. I'll, I'll, I'll surrender this area of my life. But that passage doesn't tell us, offer your body as a living sacrifice on these days or in this way. It is holy and completely sacrificial, surrendering. I'm, I'm, I'm here, God. See, I think, I think we miss what Jesus actually calls us to as Christians. In Luke 14, Jesus is walking and has a big crowd of people following him. And they are there before the show that Jesus is putting on. Miracles, exorcisms, teaching, feeding a whole bunch of folks. Some of them are just showing up because free lunch. Right, but, but these people are following, and Jesus stops the crowd and says, hey, count the cost of what it means to be my disciple. Count the cost of following me. Because what Jesus calls us to is a life of death. 
Luke 9.23 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus calls us to die daily to ourselves. My, my flesh, my dreams, my desires, my wants, my plans, die. That's what he calls Christians to, to die to ourselves daily. And the beauty in dying to ourselves is the life we find in him. The gospel calls sinners to self-denial. It is God-centered, not man-centered. It calls for self-abasement, not self-love. It calls for self-sacrifice, not self-fulfillment. See, when I offer my life as a living sacrifice, I'm saying, God, your will be done, not mine. And the reason is, is because I know what comes out of my heart. Ain't nothing but wicked and deceit that comes out of my heart. Nothing but evil that comes out of my heart. So God, I need your will to be done because I don't like being with me. Rick Warren, um, the, the, the senior pastor of Saddleback Church, he planted this church, was a senior pastor for 40 years. Here's how he practiced living sacrifice. Every Sunday on his way to church for 40 years, he would pray and say, God, I offer my resignation to you. And it wasn't because he was exhausted from leading this, 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 this massive church at Saddleback. It wasn't because he hated the church he was at. It wasn't because he was unhappy with his life. It was actually the opposite. He loved his life. He loves his church. He, all, he didn't want to go anywhere else. He said, God, I love the way my life is. I love where I'm at. I love the people. I love what we're doing. But God, I offer my sacrifice to you. I will resign. And if you tell me I need to resign, I will get up there today and resign from the church. It is a living sacrifice of how we live. That is worship for us. My wife and I, before we got married, I, uh, we were sitting outside in the little cul-de-sac at Pastor Tom's house. And uh, we had this conversation. We were engaged and I said, hey, listen, um, I'm called to be a ministry, I think. Are you cool with that? She said, yeah. All right. What if God calls us to another state away from our family? She's like, I'm in. Awesome. Uh, what if God calls us to another country? I'm in. What if God calls us to a third world country where Christians are uh, beaten and persecuted? And what if we both die or what if I die for the gospel? I'm in. I was like, bet, we're in. <laughs> here's, here's what happened to me. My vocation, my title as pastor led me to believe that I was living a life of sacrifice for God. But God wants me to be a living sacrifice in all areas of my life. My wilderness journey, that wilderness season, my wife and kids became collateral damage to what I was struggling with. You see, because what I realized, my wife used to say this really softly, really kind, What's going on? You're not here. I'm like, I'm sitting right next to you. No, no, no. You're physically here. Mentally, you're checked out. Because the reality was, was mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, I had nothing for my family. You know, you see statistics on, uh, on what happens to children in fatherless homes. 
that the like everything quadruples or more when it comes to poverty, abuse, drug and alcoholism, uh, a teen pregnancy, uh, a prison. Everything skyrockets through the roof. There's not too many statistics about kids who have dad physically there, but emotionally, spiritually, and mentally checked out. My bet is, is it's not very much better. See, I, became, I didn't stop loving my family. I loved them dearly. That wasn't my mistake. My mistake was that I stopped living a life of sacrifice. I stopped loving my family the way Christ calls me to love them, the way Christ loves the church. It wasn't self-sacrifice. It wasn't surrender. It was, hey, you guys want to hang out? Cool, let's hang out the way I want to hang out. We got college football all day. Everybody just sit down, let's watch. Or, or I'm really exhausted and I have like no mental energy, so let's just put on 10 movies today and everybody just sit here quietly with a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. It's impossible. You see, what happened was is I started living a self-fulfilled life. My family became collateral damage to my lack of surrender and sacrifice daily and my lack of living a life of sacrifice to who God is, what he calls me to be, and more than being a pastor or preaching or anything else, he calls me to be husband and father and spiritual leader of my house. My bet is, is if my kids were old enough and I had the opportunity to ask them, how have I been doing as a dad for the past 16 months? Not great, dad. We see you, but you're not really here. My bet is we miss you. He calls us to live a life of sacrifice in every area. Praise God for his mercy and grace and forgiveness in the midst of my failures and my shortcomings. Here's our last thing, is we must protect our worship. Like I said at the beginning, everybody worships someone or something. Everybody. You may not call it worship, but that's what you do. We give our attention and our devotion to something or someone, but God wants to be the object of our affection. He wants to be the focus of our hearts. He wants all the attention, the attention that we give to other things. If you don't know how to protect your worship, um, I listened to this John Eldridge uh, uh, podcast, and this is how he talked about it, because we talk about the Sabbath, right? And, and life can get busy, and all of a sudden, we, we, we practice the Sabbath on one day, but, but then life got really busy, and all of a sudden, maybe we become out of practice and out of tune with keeping the Sabbath. And so he kind of makes an argument of what if we practice the Sabbath daily, and instead of making it a 24-hour, one-whole-day type of thing, what if we just started practicing the Sabbath and worship every single day? What does that look like? Because here's, here's for most of us, we have about two to three hours at night where we kind of do what we want, right? Like if you got kids, I know for us, our kids go to bed six, seven o'clock, okay? And I know that may seem early. Our kids wake up at 5.30 or six o'clock, even if they go to bed at midnight. I need a break. So they go to bed early, <laughs> All right. So our, our kids go to bed between six and seven. There's two to three hours every single night that, that, that I have, right? If your kids, when your kids go to bed, there are a few hours that you have every single night. Most of us self-medicate during that time. For some of us, maybe it is, we, we have a few drinks, you have a glass of wine or whatever. For others, 
We self-medicate by just turning our mind off, becoming numb to what's going on in the world and Pinterest, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever social media, we just phone, here we go. For others of us, we've been waiting for the kids to go to sleep because now I'm gonna binge eat all the desserts and snacks that I hide until you go to bed. <laughs> if you're not sure if you do that, your spouse will let you know. <laughs> right? For others of us, it's just, I'm gonna turn on Netflix and I'm just gonna binge watch a show. I don't have mental energy, emotionally, spiritually, to pour in to my spouse or even to spend time with God. So John Eldridge makes this, this argument, take back our nights. He doesn't say go for two hours, 30 minutes. What if for 30 minutes, you just spent personal worship? After your kids go to bed, it was your personal worship. 30 minutes, man, whatever song you want, you're just singing or listening to the music and, and meditating on the words or the lyrics. What if that was what you did for 30 minutes every night? Or spent time in prayer? Or spent time reading your Bible? Or spent time just journaling? Journaling, God, this is what you're doing. This is where I'm at. This is getting it all off your chest and just journaling it down. What if you just spent 30 minutes sitting outside under the stars with your spouse? Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe you're just listening to some worship music. Maybe you just sit in silence. And you just take 30 minutes to just be in awe of the God who spoke and this stuff showed up. You see, worship is the only thing God desires that only we can give him. Your dog does not worship God. If you have a cat, they're from, you know, they're from down under, you know, <laughs> they don't count. I know some of you are some cat people breaking the news to you, just being honest. All right. Dog, animals don't worship God. He, he desires to be worshiped, and it's the only thing that only we can do. No other part of creation can worship him like us. You see, when we worship him, it's really creation honoring the creator. It's the redeemed adoring the redeemer. It's his children loving their father. Our worship is to be directed towards God. Pastor Greg had talked about praying the truth of Scripture. Sometimes we just need to worship the truth of Scripture. Here's what I mean by that. Whether in song, reading of our word, prayer, whatever our personal worship time looks like, go look at Genesis 15. There's a covenant that happens between God and Abraham. And, and, and covenants aren't just something that happened in Scripture. You can study the ancient Near Eastern cultures of that day and that time. They had these things called these like treaties. And really what it was, it was, a, it was an agreement between two parties, usually a, a, a bigger king over a lesser king or something like that. But the two parties would come to agreement on something. They would take an animal, they'd cut it in half, they'd split it on either side. And then both parties would walk through the animal. And the symbolism of that was, I will hold up my end of the bargain. I will hold up my end of the treaty. And if I don't, I'll end up like the animal that we just cut in half and walked through. So in Genesis 15, God makes this promise to Abraham, promised land, a son, great nation, that out of him will come the seed that will savior the world, and makes this great promise. And then Abraham falls asleep. And in the midst of his sleep, he has a vision or a dream. And in that, there's an animal, a sacrifice, and God alone walks through the covenant. Because from Genesis 3 on, we could not be faithful to the covenant. 
Sin is rampant in our world. We could not uphold our end of the bargain. So God walks through the covenant alone and says, I will uphold it by myself. I will be faithful, forgiving, loving, to the point that I will send my one and only son to die on a cross for you, even though you haven't been faithful to the covenant, I never asked you to be. I never expected you to be, because from Genesis 3 on, you couldn't be. So I'll uphold the covenant on my own, and I'll send a son to die on a cross, to raise again three days later, to, to defeat sin in the grave and death. And through faith in him, you have eternity with me. Our worship is always in response to God for what he has always done, who he has always been. Go read Genesis 15. It was back in that part that God said, I will do it even though you can't. You don't have to earn it. I love you. It's grace. It's mercy. It's forgiveness, even though I don't deserve it. So spiritual discipline of worship has always and should always be my response to who God is, what he has done. And God, I sacrifice my entire life to let you do what you want. Why? Because Genesis 15 through the rest of eternity shows me you are faithful. You are good. This is what you did for me. And the only response to that is worship. It is the only response. It is is a song gratitude. God, I got nothing else to give you except a heart that says hallelujah. Why? Because you are God, you are sovereign, you are good, you see me, you hear me. Why? It's it's all I got for you, God, because everything else in me is not worthy, is not good enough. So all I got is a word of hallelujah, you are God. Thank you. It's a heart of worship. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, uh, I pray that we would be in no matter what season, mountaintop or the valley low, the promised land or the wilderness, that our response would always be worship. Because you are holy, you are God, you are good, you are sovereign, you are loving, you're merciful. Gracious, you're good, you're just. Lord, even when we feel like we don't have the words, we don't know what to say, may our heart always be in a posture of worship and response to who you are. And Lord, may may we begin to be people that live sacrificially and surrender in every area, and that just be a living sacrifice or our worship to you. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you guys take off, uh, if you would like some prayer, you could submit prayer requests online, or if you would like prayer immediately today, there'll be people up in front of the stage uh, from our prayer team who would love to pray with you. We love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.